Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie, how are you this morning? Look, you know what? I actually love this weather at the moment. I'm a sunshine person. We, we are having some weather right now. Yeah. This is this is actual weather. It is. But you've like got to describe it that way, don't you? It's, it's like there is there is things happening. There are things happening. Because it's like it's windy, but it's not like it's cold enough, but it's not like, oh, this is freezing. It's uh-huh. just like, ooh, there's like change in the air. And it's like all grey, which I'm not a big fan of, to be honest. Yes. But it just feels like I don't think there will be a storm on the way, but it's that start yeah, it's exactly it feels like something's happening. It does. I mean I got out of the car, I walked up to the front door, I went back to my car, I collected my Brolly, <laughs> because I'm thinking by the end of the show, it could be anything pretty. could be happening I know, today. I know. But yeah, so I'm, I'm well. Like, good start to the morning, good to be here. Feeling Excellent. thankful for many, many things, which I'm trying to think of one thing at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me share with you what I'm thankful yes, for. Um, the door on my ute broke. So I've been doing the in the window, out of the window <gasps> thing to yeah. get in and out. And I picked up another door, mm-hmm. and I thought it was just going to be a shell. Mm-hmm. With a latch, because mm-hmm. I need the door and the latch, because I've got to cut the door off. Oh, so it won't even open. I've got to cut it off with angle grinder. It's the only way I'm going to get the, the door. I'm gonna, the only way I'm going to get the door off my ute, Obviously. which is kind of sad, because you know, apart from that, it's well, it's not a perfectly good door. It has seen <laughs> four wheel drive use, uh-huh. and so contact with numerous trees. But anyway, Brilliant. so I've got to go and cut that off to be able to replace the latch because mm-hmm. it's locked shut. And um, guy had one for uh, latch and a shell. That was all that was advertised, and he said that I could have. And uh, he had that for sale for like 150 bucks. And my wife got there, and she got the whole door with all the fittings and the glass, everything included, mm-hmm. for 100 bucks. Hey! So I'm thankful for a good deal. That's so good. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Let's have some positive news. Let's do that. I actually think this is a really, really cool story. So let's just go back in time a little bit. So between 2007 and 2018, there was a lady, her name's Jocelyn James, and she was addicted to opioids and supported her habit by breaking the law. Like, so she had a lot of run-ins. And over that time, she was arrested multiple times by the same cop. And, um, yeah, for a while she was on the most wanted list in Franklin County, Alabama. Fast forward a bit, and she has just donated her one of her kidneys to him when he found out that his was shutting down. And he was – like, basically, um, he just recently retired, and then he got really unwell, and then they found out his kidney was failing. The doctors were like, look, you're probably going to be on the list for, like, like seven to eight years. He puts up a fo- uh, post on Facebook. Somehow, I don't know if they're friends. It didn't really specify that, but they must have been if she saw it. She saw it and immediately she said, the Holy Spirit told me that my kidney is his. Now, I don't know okay. wow. what her journey is. Yes. I, could, I read a few different things. I don't know if she was a Christian when she was younger and that kind of has stayed with her. But for her, essentially, she's like, this man saved my life by arresting me. Like, because she went to jail, she had to do some rehab, she came out. Got a life in order. Yep. Got sorted out. And so she's like, this, this, like, this guy saved my life. And um, yeah, and so it's been a really beautiful story, like just them connecting with that. And he was just like, she was, out of all the people you could have lined up 
she is not the person I would have expected. It's it's not it's not it's not a typical situation where when somebody saves your life, you get the opportunity to return the favor. Mm, mm-hmm. You know that's an unusual situation to take place. Yeah, and wow, mm, right? You know it would be. It'd be kind of a big thing. I, you know, I just don't know how I'd feel about it if someone's like, well, could I have one of your kidneys? It'd be like, ooh. Well, oh, actually, this is one of the cool parts of the stories. So she's only, I think, about two miles. So what's that, like four kilometres-ish um, from where he lives? You know, so he's not thinking there'll be someone close by. But, yeah, so she sees the thing. Um, they have to obviously do multiple tests because yes. you can't just give anyone any kidney because the body will reject it. Um, and the doctors went, we haven't seen Closer match. Like, oh, really? Like this is like so perfect. Now, obviously, so the Holy Spirit really did speak yeah, to her then. So there so are you're big, the one. Yeah, things can still happen. You know, you can still come out as a match. Um, he has had his surgery, is recovering well now. But um, but yeah, and so it's just been an amazing story. And, and he was just like, well, you know, like this is God in someone's life. And she's like, yep, you know, God has just worked in my life. And so they've just both really praised him for that. And she said, you know, she doesn't have and has not had I don't know if ever or but for a long time any kind of father figure. He has two daughters, but, um, you know, they were just saying this experience has really – but, like, she's part of the family. Yeah. He's like, you know, she's just another daughter. Absolutely. And yeah. I was how like, could you, how could you not? This is amazing. Yeah. Like, um, you know, obviously, you know, part of something that was in her body is now literally part of his life. Um, so I guess there's that aspect, but even just – Different way of kind of uh, having a daughter. Yeah. You know, they are blood relation now. Yeah. Yeah. But in a very different way. In a totally different way. But yeah, I was just like, man, this is an incredible testament to um, what God does in someone's life, but also the way he uses people to do that. Um, You know, because like the cop could have not been the one to arrest her. You know, it could have been anyone else. They could have never had any contact again. She might have, you know, whatever. But for him, he's just like, man, I just, I wanted her to do better, but you can only do so much. That's Um, right. And yeah, I just think it's just such a cool story. I was reading it. I was like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Like, this is so good. And um, yeah, she's given her testimony a few times. So I couldn't find like all of it to watch, but I watched bits and pieces just on YouTube and Facebook and all the things. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so just even apart from this, you know, she has had a really amazing transformation in her life. And yeah. And so now she's got to share that with this person. So I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's just the best. Isn't it? Yes. Okay, so next story. So Fresh Kills Landfill was once the dumping site for all of New York City garbage. Um, and it was a place that terrorised the State Islanders with odours and the sight of trash mounds was said to have reached 20 storeys high. I don't know. 20 storeys high. high? Is that true or is that just what people say? I don't know. Um, but If it was half that. It's still huge. Let's say if, let's say if it was 10 storeys high... Mm. Have you ever seen a trash pile 10 stories high? No. No, not, you know. I mean, Sydney, there's some, you know, Eastern Creek and places like that and it stinks for like, you know, you can smell it from the light horse interchange. But it's like <laughs> maybe two stories high, maybe mm. four or five at the most on a bad day. It's pretty rough though, isn't it? Like the closest I've been was when I was in India and they had a bunch of like trap, just even some of the small ones, like you get that much stuff in a spot, oh, it stinks. Oh, yeah. Like, it just carries for so long. It does. Um, but, yeah, so there was just massive, massive thing, uh, massive, massive um, rubbish pile. And so basically in 2001, so this is going back a long time again, um, the former mayor went, right, we want to turn this into a park. This was based on declining poles or something, and they wanted to, 
get people excited about what they were going to do. Um, and so this has been a really, really long process. Um, but now it's just months away from reopening as one of the world's greatest rewilding projects. So they have tried to turn this into a park. And it did, like, well, it's not open yet, but I was looking at some of the photos and I was like, oh, man, like... You so it's, would, starting, it's starting to get there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you would look at it now and think, oh, yeah, that's just, like, a big park. I mean, a man-made park, but, like, you just think it's a big park. And so they've had to do a lot to put into that, though. Um, so they reckon it's the largest park construction for over 100 years in New York, um, which is fair because I'm... Yeah, it's a big It's been an interesting place for archaeologists to go digging in mm, a few years. They're like, what was this? <laughs> um, yeah, they had to bring in heaps of iron-rich soil um, from New Jersey and covered it with plastic sheeting that capped the garbage mounds, um, stained the local roads red also. Um, but, they, but then the methane from that, they set up some pipes that channel the fumes of the underground detritus or whatever it's called into the homes for heating and power oh that's even that that is even cool that's very cool yeah anyway so that's basically the story i was like well done you guys like make it happen make it pretty why not you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different a couple of interesting stories coming out this morning this one uh, comes from the vatican and pope francis has announced a new encyclical letter that he's going to be publishing so these letters are you know they're for the faithful worldwide, but they are also to in in you know in recent years, like well, actually throughout history, they have been designed to influence global politics as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, encyclicals are interesting. This one is going to be uh, released this fall. It's called "Brothers All." Okay. Now that's a quote from Saint Francis of Assisi. Pope Francis has named himself after Saint Francis, and now he's doing an encyclical that is a is is named after a Saint Francis quote, and he's going to be signing this particular encyclical at the tomb of Saint Francis of Assisi. Wow, he really likes Saint Francis. Oh, he does. Interesting. He does. Okay, so 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 that's going to give us some clues as to what's in this encyclical because we don't know what's in it yet. Mm-hmm. But these are all clues. Okay, so what did St. Francis mean when he talked about brothers all? Uh, St. Francis's uh, statement about brothers all is a statement about the environment. He saw everything in the environment as being our brothers and sisters, so he would refer to brother, son, and sister moon, which is Whoa, like a little bit different from father, son, mother moon that the pagans had. Uh, he would, you know, according to, according to legend, history, he lived from 1181 to... Um, 12-something or other, so a long time ago. But according to the stories being passed down, he would preach to birds and to wolves and to wild animals and so forth, and they would come and sit in his hand, all that kind of stuff. So maybe a bit of an early bird watcher right there. Um, but he has become the patron saint of the environment, and he talked also about, this one was interesting, brother wind, brother water, brother fire, brother earth. So if anybody knows anything about New Age, witchcraft and that kind of stuff, you'll recognise exactly what's going on there. So he was quite a mystic. And, of course, this comes five years after Pope Francis' last encyclical, which was Laudato Si, which was all about the environment. And he's supposedly going to outline... Sorry, let me finish this. Supposedly going to outline... A new new post-COVID future for our world. 
Mm, as in saying what the political leaders should do. Yes. Yeah, and, okay. and, if you, and if you start to put all of this together, yeah, this is going to be about the environment. Mm. It's going to be an environmental encyclical. So very, very interesting. Watch this space. See what comes out. So does that mean, like, does this current pope believe the same thing that St. Francis did? Was he... Yeah, like I'm just very in- intrigued by this. Well, I haven't seen I haven't seen Pope this. Francis preaching to any animals recently. <laughs> okay, brilliant. But in many ways, it's the origin of um, a lot of the uh, extreme green movements today, where all living things are seen as being on the same level and of the same value. Mm-hmm. So, an insect or a tree is the same value as a human being, mm. whereas the biblical model is a model of. Uh, dominion and stewardship, we're given dominion over the world to look after it. So they are our responsibility rather than our equals. Mm-hmm. And so we've been given you know, greater powers to look after those things that have lesser powers. So there's a, there's a difference between the two. Um, St. Francis of Assisi definitely bought into the equality rather than the dominion model. But, uh, you know, I mean, uh, this is a bit off tangent, but a model. lot of... Indigenous cultures have not necessarily the same, but sort of a similarity, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, that we are all... Well, Indigenous Australians like, have uh, yeah. the whole stewardship model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but also for them, like, they are part of country, not we dominate. Does that make sense? Yes. It's a little bit different. It's, it is, it yeah. is a little bit different. It's not as far as St. Francis of Assisi. It's a bit of a blend. It's mm. somewhere in between. Mm. And, and And, you know... Hey, I'm no expert on Indigenous culture, and I think it did vary a lot from one part oh, yeah. of Australia to another. Yeah. Um, and so, if there's any Indigenous people listening in that like to comment, our number oh, is oh yeah, we'd love to one eight hundred three two four eight four three, or text us on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Okay, let me see what else we got here. We cannot, we cannot not deal with this issue right here. I had a little bit of a uh, my producer alerted me to this story. I had a little bit of trouble finding it. Oh. But this is major news. This is in Queensland. Queensland Roman Catholic priests have just been made mandatory reporters for the first time ever by law facing a jail lengthy jail term if they don't. So in Australia, everybody's been mandatory reporters except for Roman Catholic Wait, priests. Wait, what do you mean mandatory reporters? A mandatory reporters of uh, of child sex abuse. Oh, oh, good. Yes, they should do that. Everybody else has That's, been for like yeah. ever. Yeah, I don't you know ages ago. We've all been mandatory, but Roman Catholic priests have always had an exception, mm. um, and that of course is based around the confessional. Well, that's now gone. Oh. Um. And so this is, raises some interesting questions about religious liberty and re- religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, religious liberty is the liberty to worship. It's not a license to commit criminal acts. No. And not providing protection to a child and knowing that a child is being abused for years and doing nothing about it, that's a criminal act. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not an act of worship. And that's, we need to differentiate yes. between the two when we come to uh, understanding these kinds. Of, there is going to be implications here. I, I can just see it coming. There is going to be implications here for restrictions on religious liberty, mm. even though I totally support this bill or totally support this aspect of the bill. I don't yeah, know everything yeah. it says, but I totally support the idea behind it. Yep. Uh, but it is going to have uh, implications for religious liberty. Um, they also... And this was an interesting one. 
outlawed with a jail term of up to 20 years. That's nice. Um, Anybody who makes or owns a child sex doll. Okay, so this is interesting because this is actually the same same bill. Talking about priests, yeah? Uh, no. Or just in general? No, the, 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 the bill is in general. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah. But priests get affected by it. Right. Uh, so this is interesting because a lot of there's been a lot of theory out there that if people who are pedophiles can you know satisfy themselves outside of actually um, attacking a child, then that is preferable. Mm-hmm. This is an admission that when people who are pedophiles act out their fantasies uh, by fantasizing rather than acting out on a child, it actually strengthens and reinforces in their brain their deviance, mm. which then leads them to commit actual deviant acts. And it's safer to short-circuit that and, like, don't even go there. Mm. So that's, um, yeah, I, interesting fr- interesting uh, admission by the government. My friend often says this thing. She says, if you don't or can't control your imagination, you will never control your situation. Like what you allow to play out in your imagination consistently just develops the habit of thinking about that thing. That's the way the brain is. It's yeah. it wise itself. Yeah. And so that if you have a situation in real life, like that's, you know, like that can be how affairs happen. That can be, you know, like there's just, it doesn't just start typically of just be like, oh, oops, I'm in a situation that I shouldn't be in. It's like, well, actually, like your brain has brought you to a place before you could actually ever go there. Mm. Indeed. Okay. This uh, new legislation, of course, has been um, – not the, part, the bit about the child sex doll, but uh, the bit about the confession has been opposed by the Archbishop, uh, Mark Coleridge, um, who says that this will not make children safer. Um, Why would he say that? Yeah, it's, it's a uh, – it's kind of hard to wrap your – okay, so here's the quote. Clergy have died because they have refused to submit to the claims of the state and preferred to defend the rights of the penitent before God and the rights of God before the penitent, he wrote in a submission to Parliament. This legislation is bound to fail in this regard. So, yeah, try and interpret that however which way that you like. It um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Mm. Anyway, so big things happening around the world as far as religious liberty goes, and it's good to see that this loophole has been closed in Queensland. I do hope that other states follow. I do hope it does not become a precedent for infringing on religious liberty in other areas. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning for a regular update on emotional health is David Haupt. And David, welcome to the show. Hello, David. All right, let me see what we've got happening here. We are having a lot of struggle <laughs> here trying to uh, trying to get through pops and crackles and Hello. interesting noises. There's moments of... And uh, we're going to have another crack at getting this through. Uh, okay, can we be heard, heard now? David, can you hear us now? I can hear you now, yes. Good hey. morning. Good morning to your listeners. Ah, fantastic. Okay, so David, we need to get back to the main subject that we were going to be talking about today. And this is some new uh, research that has come out in relationship to sleep. Now, we've spoken about sleep. We've spoken about the importance of sleep. But this research seems to find that atheists sleep better than Christians. What's this all about? It was quite a provocative um, 
heading for, for this news report, it says that atheists are more likely to sleep better than Catholics and Baptists. A uh, report came out in August 28th uh, of this year, so just the other day, and uh, it really grabbed my attention. And while the, the, the research doesn't fully uh, get down to conclusions, it does indicate that uh, maybe there is something in terms of, of sleep that we as Christians are missing. You know, while we as Christians so often talk about physical health, we talk about mental health, but do we ever take the time really to talk about uh, sleep hygiene? Uh, sleep and, hygiene, now that's an interesting term. Yeah. Uh, the way that we sleep, my mum used to say to me, you can't go to bed if you haven't had a shower or bath as a kid. And it has impacted me even still today. Um, I would go camping and try to get into my sleeping bag, but if I haven't had a proper bath or shower, I just can't sleep properly. Uh, it must be that my mum is still speaking, you know, from the grave into my head. It also says that uh, the habits that we form and the routines that we have in preparation for going to sleep are important to a good night's sleep. Exactly. Very true. Um, Lol, there's, as, as I researched this, I discovered another research paper that was done um, when I, I can't find the date now. But uh, it basically, the title says, Religious Doubt and Sleep Quality, finding from a, a nationwide study of Presbyterians, um, once again correlating with what this newest research is showing that Christians are struggling in their faith, and this one in particular being done under Presbyterian Church members in America, that there's a correlation between those that doubt their spirituality and their walk with God, as well as a link to a lack of sleep. Now, that's interesting coming from a Presbyterian church which believes in, you know, very strongly in predestination. And, yep. of course, um, people who believe in predestination would look at, say, people like us who, uh, who, who don't believe in, I guess, evangelical predestination and say, well, you know, you guys have no assurance of salvation. But that doesn't seem to be the case that is being brought out when we look at people's physical experience. Now, in this specific study, uh, what was brought out was that part that could play a role in this is that um, Christians have a difficulty to acknowledge when they have doubt, and therefore it creates stress, it creates feelings of guilt, shame, and other negative emotions that once again impacts our ability to properly sleep and rest at night. So instead of being open about it and being able to talk and getting the support that we really need to work through our spiritual doubt, um, Christians tend to hold it in and, and therefore impacts them. We, a part of the uh, sleep hygiene, one of the core issues in sleep hygiene is that we actually need to go to bed with a clear conscience. Yes. So, the, so I guess the question that goes through my mind then, if Christians are not sleeping as well as atheists, does that mean that as Christians we are not practicing what we preach when it comes to having faith in God's forgiveness? So God is oh. forgiving us, but we're not forgiving ourselves kind of thing. I was so hoping that you would not ask me that question. 
<laughs> because this this is part of uh, the, the Christian struggle, is that we so often talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. Um, so the question that comes to my mind on that is, do we really have that intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because I believe that if we would have that, and if our Christian faith is lived in a very practical way, that our sleep actually would be a sleep, a, a sweet sleep. Mm, absolutely. But so often. As, as a Christian therapist, work with um, with Christian families, work with fami- Christian families' children, with ministers' children. And one of the things that really uh, perturbs me is the fact that a, a child coming out of that strong spiritual background of that home would say to me, if dad stands up to preach, I don't want to be there because that man – and the men that I know at home are two different people. And our and young that's, people yeah, that's a worry. struggle. Yeah. Our, our young people struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And, and we lose that ability to really have an evangelical influence on the next generation because of their dualism in the way that we live out our Christian faith. It disturbs me that we preach so much about forgiveness and about experiencing forgiveness. And yet it seems from this research that while we know it and we understand it, we're not experiencing it. This this kind of, I, I find it disturbing and it, at the same time it kind of blows my mind. It's like, okay, we, we know how to go to bed with a clear conscience. Yeah. We, we have the theory, but do we practice it? Do I forgive myself? Do I fully accept and embrace the grace that is found in Jesus Christ? Okay, so what happens then if you've got, say, a besetting sin now? That's a Bible term for a sin that just sort of is one that you have a real, real area of weakness and you keep falling into it, and every time you fall into it, you ask forgiveness for it, but you never actually really truly feel forgiven because you kind of ask forgiveness, but you're like, yeah, but I know it's going to come back again. How does a person actually deal with that? Over the years that I've been working in Australia, remember my work started in Cabramatta, which uh, in the 1990s was the drug capital of Australia. And many of those young people that I worked with, after working with them for months, would eventually come into my office and would confess that they actually grew up in a Christian home. Knowing that our agency was a Christian agency, they were afraid to acknowledge it in the beginning, too afraid that we would reject them. And when they discovered that we actually practiced what we were preaching, they eventually opened up and they shared with us the, 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 the inner struggle. Most of the female drug addicts was also practicing prostitution. So, how do you help them to break free? I reminded them about uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 where an image is given about Satan coming, accusing us. He not only tempts us, but then goes and accuses us. And what he really wants us to do in uh, 1 Peter 5, I think it is, he wants us to engage with him. You and I have no power to to fight Satan, to fight um, the, the evils of, of the dark forces, but we 
can in actual fact, and this is what I say to them, I said, instead of engaging with Satan, rather turn to God and say, Lord, thank you that you have already forgiven me about this and that Satan wants to remind me about. While I'm hiding in your presence, will you deal with him? Okay, so when we try and engage with Satan, Satan knows that we're always going to enter into a battle that we cannot win. And so whatever he can keep us engaged with him, we're not engaged with Jesus Christ. Exactly. What he, what he actually fears the most is us relying and fully engaging with Jesus Christ, even about our weakness. Mm. Is there a danger yeah. that we end up focusing so much on the sin that we lose sight of Jesus Christ, so that the sin becomes all-consuming to us uh, and we miss our connection with God? And in so doing, loses the power that is available for overcoming sin. Because that power is found in a person called Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, now, it's, I think it's important in this discussion, too, to remember where the battle really is. Uh, because there is a battle that's involved in overcoming sin, but that is not the battle to overcome the sin, because that is Christ's battle. That is, that is Jesus' battle. That's his specialty. The battle for us really is to let him do it. Exactly. The battle for us is to, to surrender to him mm-hmm. and allow him to to gain that uh, you know that victory in our lives uh, through us. Now, what if what if we fall so many times? Wouldn't God eventually become so disappointed that He will say, "That's it. I'm not going to I'm not going to support you anymore." That's a good question. Would love to know your answer on this one. I. Um, Someone asked me this question. I said to them, do you believe that God is all-knowing? He said, yes. I said, so in other words, God knows exactly how many times you're still going to fall about this one sin? Let's say 50 50 more times? The person said, yes. I said, so when you fall next time again and you turn to God, what is God saying? What is going on in God's mind? Uh, While the naughty side of me comes out, you're where I I see God say, yes, only 49 more times my child's (laughs) going to be free. That is definitely a a more encouraging way to look at it, definitely a a glass half full rather than glass half empty attitude towards um, gaining victory. We underestimate God's willingness to help us towards victory. Mm. And Christians so often go to bed with not a clear conscience, uh, with an inability to have sleep hygiene, and they wrestle about things which they have just surrendered to God. Instead of resting in Him, they rest in their own ability. And really that comes down to a lack of faith, you know, we talk, and this is why the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, because without faith we can never experience salvation. It's just impossible to actually understand what it's all about. And, That's right. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's definitely a powerful thing to experience. And, you know, the devil is always there. The devil, you know, loves to um, sort of sit on your shoulder and give you a hard time and say, you know, and keep reminding you about that sin. Something that I found helpful was, you know, where you understand that God says, I will remember their sins no more, and God's word is powerful, and when he speaks our our words into oblivion so that he can't mm-hmm. remember them, then why should we be remembering them? You know, why should we keep bringing them back up again? 
because there's someone that is the accuser of the brethren and we so often listen to his voice far more than to the voice of him that speaks life into us. Yes, absolutely. David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, Very encouraging to uh, talk about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.